When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Ezefetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording this on April 7th. Hey, Erica. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well, you know. Just hanging in there. The weather is doing the most. I feel like we always have, I always bring up weather. but Yes. <laughs> it's because we're sitting next to our windows looking yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. On the, yep. Same. It's like going to be 80 degrees. I'm like, oh. we're in spring, ma'am. Ma'am, it's spring. Yes. It's spring. Like dial it back, but keep it in spring. <laughs> that sounds fun. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. But yeah, so how are how are things on your end though? What's what's going on over there? Uh, you know, just getting through the week. It <laughs> sounds kind of yeah. kind of sad, but um, no, I'm getting through the week and reading some great stuff, which helped. Um, it helped that we had like some shorter and quicker reads this this yes. past week. Um, so I am appreciative of that. I feel like actually since the beginning of the year, I've had a very short attention span. Mm. So I've been reading like a lot of novellas, doing a lot of audiobooks, a mm. lot of graphic novels. And so reading some novels in verse this week was nice. You sound like you've morphed into me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like no- novellas, yes. Audiobooks, yes. Um, novels in verse, graphic novels, uh, short attention span. It's like you're describing Erica. Yeah, I saw somebody carrying around the um, Samantha Shannon book that's mm. like a thousand pages long and like bigger than a brick. Bless their heart. And I was like, wow. And she's like, it's so good. And I was yeah. like, I do want to read it, but like, I think seeing it in person and seeing how thick it is like just immediately set me back (laughs) and I'm just like not there and I do love a good thick book but um, I have to be in the mood and lately I have not been in the mood yeah how do you feel about like obviously you are an author and you work in books and stuff like that I used before I started um like getting deeper into the book world and working in books I was a reader obviously but I found that I did not usually like read more than one book at a time. So like what's your, now I do. And I actually like how it kind of gives me a break from the other book. And I do have a kind of a thick book, not YA, but it's it's Age of Vice by Deep T. Kapoor. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to dip into this a little bit because I'm like you, like when I see a big old brick of a book these days, I'm like, huh? Like I like the idea of it, but yeah. I'm like, Execution-wise, practicality-wise, am I actually going to read it? So, how many how many books do you read on average at one time? Mm, that's a good question. Mm. I almost always have like a print book going and an audio book going. Yes. Um, which audiobooks for me are like a relatively new thing within the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. Like I did not. I did not used to be an audio reader, and mm-hmm. it really is like as my life has gotten busier and there have been more pressures and demands on my time, mm-hmm. I, I've really – and also audiobooks, like it used to be you had to go to the library and like check out CDs and like <laughs> yes. who has time for all that? What a time. So, that is a throwback. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah. So having them – because like I don't buy a lot of audiobooks, but I do like Libby on my phone. Mm-hmm. And so having Libby on my phone, like that has been a game changer within the last five years for me. I – if I'm reading stuff for work and I'm also reading stuff for fun, sometimes I'll have a couple other books going. But my problem is, especially lately, because I said my attention span is like, you know, the size of a gnat – 
I find that like if I if I'm not feeling a book, sometimes I will abandon it for another book and I tell myself I'll go back to it. Yeah. But I don't always but go don't. back. So, yeah. And I feel bad because it's not even because, like, I don't like the book and I I don't, like, make – like, there's a difference for me between, like, I'm going to read something else now um, and, like, I'm not going to finish this book because it's not working for me. So I always feel bad for the books I abandon because it's usually not them. It's me. Absolutely. Classic breakup. Classic breakup line. No, yeah. I feel, too, working in books, like, the combination of my greatly hindered attention span – Plus me hearing about like really cool books all the time. It makes me start books and not finish them more with more frequency than I used to. Because mm-hmm. I used to not finish books because they just were not a good fit for me. And I, you know, you know, meander on to the next one. But these days it's kind of like, oh, that sounds really good. No, that sounds really good. Like, that sounds really good. So I've created yeah. a, now I have a little rotation where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start all of these and we're going to dip and dabble as the mood strikes me yes yeah i feel that Mm -hmm. definitely a good way to do it again nice to have short books because i really liked the the theme this week and it was really nice and easy to get through all of them absolutely so let's hear from our first sponsor today's episode is brought to you by bloom books Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series, Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, before we dive into today's topic, which is novels and verse, quick piece of news for you. There will be two more Heartstopper graphic novels. Woo! Woo! Um, I have still not caught up on the series, but this makes me very happy. I know how popular they are. The TV show I hear is adorable. Mm Mm-hmm. So yay for more Heartstopper from Alice Osman. I need to read them too. They've been on my list. Again, going back to what we were just talking about, all the great books, not enough time. I I really do need to get into those though, because I love graphic novels. And everyone that has read them said that they are beyond adorable. I've seen some snippets of the show and that looks super cute. And like the little leaves falling and all that good goodness. It looks super adorable. Yes. So I'm glad to hear about it. They definitely have a very, like, particular vibe that I think, like, the show captures very well. Mm. Like, that cozy sort of feeling of the, of the art. So, yeah, that's fun. Who, I mean, we need cozy. We need cozy these days. Let me tell you. Yes. Oh, my God. I want it all. 
I also want to shout out that we have a new newsletter called The Deep Dive. If you're looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more from experts in the worlds of books and reading, check out our new newsletter. Um, you can get exclusive content delivered to your inbox. Subscribe and choose your membership level today at bookriot.substack.com. There will also be a link in the show notes, so look out for that. Yay! Okay, on to our topic for today. Yes. So we are going to be discussing some great novels in verse because April is Poetry Month. I know, really inspired topic here. Very clever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, but it's a good excuse to pick up some novels in verse intentionally. And I'm always surprised by how many there are. Because, you know, it's not like it's necessarily something that you see in every other book that's releasing. But, like, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And there's more than you probably think. And so in investigating this, I was kind of like, you know, what was the first YA novel in verse? Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure of the answer. So I did some research. And by doing some research, I mean, I went to Google and I tried to divine the answer. (laughs) And yeah, like some, for some reason I had it in my head that Speak by Laurie Hulse Anderson was a novel in first. Like, I don't know why I thought that. Probably because her newest memoir, which is like about her, her real life experience that inspired Speak is written in verse. And Mm -hmm. I haven't read Speak in like just years. So um, I was like, oh, wait, it's not written in verse. Like, wait, what was the first novel in verse? So I'm not actually sure. But I do know that the first novel in verse that I read and the earliest one that I could find in like, you know, the hour of research I did was Sonia Sohn's um, Stop Pretending the year my sister went crazy Mm. and she also wrote what my mother doesn't know in one of those hideous books where the mother dies i think what my mother doesn't know is probably the first novel in verse i read and um and i loved one of those hideous books where the mother dies i actually had like a copy and i read it and reread it so many times when i was in high school and then of course around that same time Ellen Hopkins came out with Crank in 2004 and she writes in verse and her books were just like so, so popular. Like if you were alive and paying attention to YA almost 20 years ago, like Ellen Hopkins was dominating with all of her books. Mm -hmm. And I think she really did a lot to help, you know, popularize that form because her books were so popular and they were hitting like the New York Times bestseller list. So Yeah, that is my very unscientific little dabbling research project um, (laughs) into, like, the history of YA novels in verse. And I think, you know, it's important to note that, like, those authors that were writing in that, you know, form 20 plus years ago, very white. But now we just have so many more authors of color that are writing in this form, which is awesome. It's an interesting thing. I didn't even think about them being white. It probably is also just like because like the publishing world was just dominated, you know, by uh, white people probably because I'm like, I know people of color have always dabbled in like poetry and stuff historically. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like I think in general, YA of the late 90s and early 2000s was pretty white. So yeah, that's probably yeah why. But interesting to look into. And I I did not even think to look that far back. So I appreciate you submitting your research. Oh, I just I just thought of hmm. something. Did you ever read Love Comes Softly by Jacqueline Woodson? No, I'm familiar with Jacqueline Woodson, but I have oh. not. Is that in verse? Or if you not, not not Love Comes Softly, if you come softly. And now I'm wondering, is it is it in verse? Because I read that book, but now I'm like was it in verse? I'm, I'm going to look it up. That does sound familiar. And that one came out in like 99. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, let me see. The thing is, it, on Goodreads, I feel like if you get, if you look at books that are like, you know, from the late 90s and stuff, the book blurbs are always so much shorter. That's, that's just a oh, random yeah. observation. But I'm saying that because it's not telling me if it's in verse. Yeah, I'd have to do the like Amazon like look inside peek. Yeah. But I know I the reason I brought that one up too is because I that book was lovely and is YA and it came out in the nineties. And I know Jacqueline Woodson has written in verse before, but I can't remember if that one is in verse or not. I think, yeah, that's I think Brown Girl Dreaming 
is in first, but that is not in, from the 90s. That's what Jacqueline Woodson said. Yeah. Like 2017 or something like that. Yes. So, well, anywho, here you see us, like, stumbling through trying to remember <laughs> which. And, like, I think it's interesting because, like, there are some novels where I definitely remember them being in verse. But sometimes if it's been a really long time since I've read them, I remember the story more than the format. Mm. Or I remember, like, oh, it was really, like, evocatively written. And, yeah. um, like, and that's, like, no shade to the poetry you know, form. It's just, I'm like, wait, was that or wasn't that? And I think maybe it's just a sign of a really good book if I don't exactly remember what the line level writing looked like, but I do remember and like the story sticks with me and like the memory of the language sticks with me. So yeah, that's a, that's a thing I have to say, like, I I love that we do different topics that also kind of like take us out of our usual um, this is one. I like poetry. I like the idea of it. I don't I feel like I don't always understand it, but I like the idea of it and I try to um read it, been trying to read it more. And it's it's amazing how like these novels in verse, how it's like everything is communicated. Like the scene mm-hmm. is set, the imagery is there, the events are there, they're happening, but there are so fewer words than, you know, like mm-hmm. a regular prose novel. And it's like masterful yeah it's so masterful and it's like well duh that's poetry but i'm also like yeah but that's amazing how they're able to do that because one book i'm getting ahead of myself i was going to say one book i'm going to talk about um today it's not the language is not as like let's say like not as lyrical and not as like imagery heavy and like not as like what you would think poetic is in the i guess typical sense but it is so masterful because it, the economy of language is just super, like, it's just used really well. And it's like, how are you able to express all that you want to express in these really small bursts of words? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's really impressive. Like, I, that is not my strength or skill as a writer. So I'm always really impressed when I see authors pulling it off. And it's interesting, too, because I, you know, work in a library and I had a reading specialist kind of come up to me. We were chatting. We were trying to figure out what to help um, some younger kids to read. And she's like, I don't know what to do with novels in verse. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just I, she says, I just don't know why. Like, why do they have to be in verse? And <laughs> okay. I think that like, you know, but yeah. like, that's an interesting question. But then yeah. you start like looking at the scenes and I think like. I, you know, it's just the way the story needed to be told. Yeah. Like, that, like, there are some novels in verse I look at, and I think I cannot imagine them being told in prose. Like, they couldn't be told in yeah. prose and, and not be the same story. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, it's just really impressive and fun. And I, I, it's not that I avoid them, but I don't make a point in seeking them out. So I'm really glad we had this episode so that we could do that. Definitely. I'm going to try to seek them out more often from this point on for sure. Because yes. it was a great experience. Awesome. Yeah. Well, do you want to kick us off with your first pick? Yes, actually. And I will. It is the book that I just mentioned that like doesn't have like the flowery lyrical language, but is still like so masterful in telling its story. Um, And that is The Most Dazzling Girl in Berlin by Kip Wilson. So this one takes place in the early 30s in Berlin, as you might have guessed. And it, it basically chronicles this girl's life before, like, everything went to crap, basically, because of Hitler and all that. And I believe it's called The Weimar Republic, I don't know much about that time in history, but um, I learned, obviously, a little through this book. And it seems like people were kind of like more free and able to um, express themselves more. Um, So we meet our main character and she has had like a pretty hard life. And um, basically, she's an orphan. And when we meet her, she's been kicked out of the orphanage. Like she's aged out. And this is the 30s. And there aren't social programs and stuff for children who are who age out of orphanages. 
And so we find her and she leaves and she leaves the orphanage and she's basically walking around homeless, like looking for work so she can feed herself. So, you know, well, you know, looking for work to feed herself, to have a roof over her head, all of that stuff. And the thing is, she doesn't have like anything to her name. So she can't even like take a shower and change out of her clothes. So when she's looking for work, people are looking at her appearance and immediately they're like, oh no, you got to get out of here. And I know there was one guy who I think she used to buy bread from or something when she lived in the orphanage who used to be like nice to her. And then he sees what she looks like now and he's like, oh, you got to go. Like he never knew her or something. So it was really heartbreaking. And at one point um, it starts to rain and She's just like really pitiful and it's sad and she's like alone in the world. And she starts reminiscing about some of these words, by the way, are in German, which is a nice touch. But I also, it also makes me forget what they mean <laughs> looking back on like since I haven't read it within the last day. But she basically reminisces to back, I believe, when her mother was alive and her mother used to sing and stuff like that for her. And she had this like beautiful voice. And she also thinks about back to when she was with this girl, Gretchen, who was in the orphanage with her. And she, it's clear that like she and Gretchen were like in a relationship, right? But then Gretchen left and like kind of left her heartbroken. So we don't like Gretchen. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> forget Gretchen. So although she can't forget, she was remembering. So She's at this lowest point, like she hasn't eaten, she's cold, she's hungry, she is, you know, dirty from not being able to shower. And she finds this, like, it almost seems kind of like magical. It's like the light is pouring out of this place, out into the night air or whatever. I forgot if she met it in the day. I think I'm just remembering it as this magical place because that's how it's described to her. It could have been daytime. But she hears this music coming out and she wanders into this place. And at first she's like, oh, everyone looks so nice and stuff like that. But then like when she looks closer, she sees that there are men dressed as women and women dressed as men. And so it's like, oh, she's stumbled upon a gay bar in Berlin. And so immediately, like, I think someone asks her to... She feels like she's going to be rejected, like she's been rejected everywhere else because of her appearance. But she sees this girl who's like the most dazzling girl in Berlin. And she has this like, the girl is kind of like similar to her and like how her hair is cut and stuff. But she's like very curvaceous and like she just has like this spark. And so she smiles at her and she eventually starts, They someone puts like a tray in her hand She's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get work. And so she starts like busting tables and waiting on people and stuff. And at the end of the day, at the end of the work day, she finds out the girl, the girl's name is Rosa. And Rosa realizes that she doesn't have any place to go. So she invites her back to her house um, where she lives with her aunt. And she's like, oh, I'm always bringing home strays. And so the main character is like, ooh, I'll be your stray. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it's nothing like that at first. But she has it in the back of her mind. She's like, Rosa kind of fine. You know what I mean? So uh, they go back to her aunt's place. And like she, you know, lets her take a bath and all that stuff. And she kind of has like this moment of like calm and stuff. Like she's been sleeping in the park and stuff since she's been out of the orphanage. She doesn't have a place to go. So this is so... Nice for her. So, okay. So that's introduction. And basically we find what, I, yeah. So I'm just like, I really like this story. I'm trying to find out like, what should I mention next? I'm not going to give it all away, of course, but as she continues to work at the queer club, we find out she can sing really well and they like their waitresses and waiters to go up on stage from time to time. Cause that's part of the entertainment. That's part of the appeal of the club. But she's shy. She doesn't have confidence in herself. But also, like, in her day-to-day -day life outside of the club, we also see this storm brewing because they're talking about, oh, I should say, too, Rosa and her aunt are Jewish. So that adds another level to everything. So they're talking about this thug named Hitler who is trying to gain, trying to be elected into this new position and the other people he's competing against. And they talk about the Nazi party going around and protesting and being very hateful and stuff. And like everyone 
like the main character and the people she associates with, they refer to them as thugs. And I remember one line in it that was basically like, he's such a thug. He's so violent. No one takes him seriously. I can never imagine him winning, winning the election. Mm -hmm. And I was like, who does that sound like? Mm -hmm. Who does that sound like? I was like, that sounds awfully familiar to me. I was like, ooh. That hit something. Yeah. <laughs> that hit something in me. I was like, history, it repeats. Whew. Uh. So this book is great. It it just shows, and I like how it's talking about this time in history, but it's not the main point. You see, you already we already know what's gonna happen, but we yeah. see everything, we see all of that going on like in the background. The main purpose is um, main character and Rosa and their developing friendship or relationship. I don't know. Who knows? It's not in the beginning. It's like a slow build. You know what I mean? And her being taken in by this queer community when everyone else rejected her and just her finding herself. So I, it's such a great, it's such a great book. You got to read it. It's again, it's called the most dazzling girl in Berlin by Kip Wilson. Awesome. Yes, that's that book has been on my TBR too. Yes. And you just made me want to pick it up even more. So thank you for that. Please do. I, I, I'm here to please. I am to please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so my first pick is Nothing Burns as Bright as You by Ashley Woodfolk. And this one came out about a year ago. I read it last year. Absolutely loved it. Mm. It is about two girls who are best friends. They've fallen in love with one another. And um, they're not named throughout the book, which I think is a very interesting thing. And it basically, it takes place over the course of a single day. And this is not a spoiler to say that this book is basically about how their friendship slash romance explodes and how they break up and how they fall apart so the stories is the story is told from the point of view of one of the girls and so the day starts with them setting a dumpster on fire like you do <laughs> you know okay. sometimes you just feel like that's the right choice that is a choice yes and so they set this dumpster on fire and of course, get into huge trouble. And then it's all about like the fallout of that action throughout the rest of the day. But it's also cut with like scenes and flashbacks and memories from their past and how they came together and, and got to the where they are now. And that was really interesting. So it's kind of like this dreamy sort of trippy mm. timeline where you're like, wait, what, what? Was this, you know, is this now? Is this then? And it moves around a lot. And it's one of those books that you just really have to immerse yourself in and enjoy because nice. the journey is worth it. Um, I really liked that, you know, it's, it is about friendship, the intensity of friendship, the intensity of first love, you know, realizing that like, you know, somebody that you love so, so, so much maybe is not like good for you and maybe Ooh. you're not good for them. Ooh. And yeah, it's, and it's about some messy girls, but I really liked that it explored that. And yeah, I don't want to give too much away by talking about the plot because, you know, it's, it's lighter on plot, but heavy on all the feelings. And where you know it leaves you wondering like where are they going to end up like how how is this going to come together yeah and i really enjoyed it so nothing burns as bright as you by ashley woodfolk I, you just made me think of something else with novels in verse i feel like especially YA novels in verse because i feel like they a lot of them because they're ya tend to focus on like these pivotal changes these pivotal moments in time for people like you know becoming adults times of change and stuff like that basically like i feel like a lot of them are not super not super plot driven some of them are but i feel like it's definitely like kind of a more internal exploration and that might be that might be why they're so suited to being told in verse yeah that's a good point mm -hmm. no i i would agree with that yeah so the next one speaking of internal things we are also good at smiling by Amber McBride. And woo. Okay, so this one is about Whimsy. She is a black girl. She is a hoodoo worker, a conjurer. She believes in magic very early on. 
we are told that magic is real, although not everyone believes in it. Despite that, like waves of magic, you know, swirl and eddy around people, whether they believe it or not. But Whimsy, she comes from a line of women who are hoodoo workers or who, um, you know, believe in magic and stuff like that. So despite her power and her ability to, you know, work with magic, she suffers from clinical depression. And it's so severe that she is, when the book opens up, she is in a hospital being treated for that. And we learn that she is supposed to go to like group therapy and stuff like that. And she doesn't really like to. Um, Her parents visit her and they are supportive. They're supportive of her, you know, through her journey with depression. They try to support her as they can. Like, you know, they listen to her. They believe her and stuff like that. And also they believe in the magic that she believes in. So it's, it's not like she's getting invalidated or anything like that by her parents. They're supportive. But what's interesting, and this is told early on. What's interesting is that there is some memory. So her mother's also a hoodoo worker. Again, she comes from a line of women who are hoodoo workers, conjurers. Her grandmother was one. Her mother is one. So there's this memory. Her mother is able to manipulate memories and stuff like that. Her own as well as other people's. And there is this memory that she has, her mother has manipulated. And I think because Whimsy is powerful in her own right that memory manipulation it kind of worked but then it kind of didn't and that might be the source of the depression it might not be I'll let you read it and find out but there's something that and her mother used it her mother uh, manipulated her own memory as well so there's something that they're like trying to forget so we meet Whimsy she's at the hospital and she meets this boy named fairy it's spelled with an e but you know still it's fairy he's a fae which is a little on the nose but (laughs) we meet him and he's got this like mint green hair and immediately she sees what he is because he's in the sunlight and the sun it like casts this shadow because of the sun he casts a shadow that has like wings on it even though you can't see his wings without that like you can't see his wings otherwise. So he, she knows what he is, but she's still not like trying to talk to him like that. She's trying to mind her own business. She's like, one, she's in a hospital being treated for clinical depression. So right there, that casts a gray cloud over everything, right? But also, I feel like she doesn't necessarily want to speak to other people. There, there's just a wall up with her um, and other people. And he comes and he sees her and he's, they're kind of drawn to each other, even though she's not trying to like give him the time of day like that. And he, um, he's like, he's trying to talk to her though. Like, he's like, Hey, what's up? Like, you know, what you doing? And she's like, no, (laughs) simply no. Um, but he keeps talking to her and stuff like that. And so when she finally gets out of the hospital, um, she goes home and, it this is like does a good job i think of i don't have experience with um clinical depression but i feel like it gives you a good peek into what that's like it's like she talks about how she feels guilty for for feeling you know being sick and feeling sad very very sad um because like she talks about how she feels badly about her parents worrying about her and stuff like that. So I feel like it gets into all the different feelings that comes with that. So she gets, she gets home and she's, some time goes by and she's introduced to this new kid who moved in and guess who it is? It's fairy with his mint green hair. And she's like, Oh my God, he's so annoying. And, but, but not really because she kind of is intrigued by him. And he says something to her. She's really into nature and like nature and leaves and the, like the dirt and stuff like that, because that's part of like her magical ability. It just kind of makes her kind of one with things like that. And when she's like collecting some leaves or something like that, he says something and he's like, they kind of like knocks her off a little bit. He's like, if you like leave so much, why are you scared of the forest? There's a forest at the end of the road, at the end of their street that is like, she says it's haunted. And so she's like, wait a minute, are you reading my mind, bro? Like fall back, you know? 
But the gag is he's also scared of the forest. So something happened in that doggone forest, all right? Mm. And he's like, well, you know, is you scared of a ghost? You're a, a root worker. You're a, you're a conjurer. And she's like, is there ever just one ghost? And he's like, touche. And she's <laughs> like, well, why are you scared of the forest? Silence. So it's like something's going on in that forest. And it's like, and that's that's part of an interesting part for me in reading it. Because like, I am very much drawn to mysteries. So there's like a garden in the forest. And... The forest is kind of like, it kind of beckons to her. And so eventually he gets lost in the forest and she has to go find him. And she, like I said, there's a garden there and the garden is, it has these like fairy tale like creatures. They're witches, sirens, princesses, ghosts. And she has to, as you might have already seen coming, she kind of has to deal with her own stuff in order to save him. One thing I really liked about this early on, uh, Amber McBride weaves in like all types of mythology. Like you have the fairy tales as someone who grew up in, you know, in Western society, fairy tales. And, you know, fairy tales are just mythology, but we just call them fairy tales. So it's like she has fairy tales in it. She has like some Greek mythology. She has like the, the black mythology different stuff and it's kind of all woven together into whimsy's and fairy's story and it just kind of makes it feel like magical throughout and i will say the language here is very beautiful and the imagery that is is created through the language and this is what i would consider to be like when you think of like poetic writing i think it's more typically like this like very beautifully crafted phrases, you know, intense imagery. And I read and listened to the audiobook. Like I read the ebook and listened to the audiobook. I have an advanced e-galley. And the author actually reads this, which is really cool. And I have to say, like, if you haven't, Tears Out, have you, did you listen to any of these on audiobook? I've listened to one of my picks on audio. The rest I read. Okay. I was going to say, there's something about listening to novels in verse on audiobook that I find very, like, soothing. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's super soothing. So I would recommend listening to it on audiobook if you can. But yes, I highly recommend. We are also going to Smiling by Amber McBride. Also pick up Me Moth by Amber McBride, which I believe was nominated for a National Book Award, like, last year or so. So have those on your radar. Yes. Awesome. All right. I'm going to tell you about my next pick, but first let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. 
This is an edge of your seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Okay, so my next pick, I actually just have to shout about this because, oh my gosh, I finished the book this week and I love it so much. It is Enter the Body by Joy McCullough. And it is mostly told in verse. However, it's kind of a mixed media type of book where you will have short little snippets of prose, but then some of it is written in the form of a play with just the, you know, the words and very, very minimal scene cues. Um, The premise is, imagine Shakespeare's dead women existing under a trapdoor in a stage. Mm. And they're all down here in the dark below the stage. And they have all been killed off. And many of them have been killed off in very brutal and very horrific manner. Mm. And imagine what would happen if they just started talking to one another and sharing their stories. So this book mostly focuses on Juliet, Ophelia, Cordelia, with a silent Lavinia watching on. And it is just this tremendously powerful and fascinating look at, you know, these girls telling their stories, telling, you know, the story of these famous, famous plays, but from their perspectives. And what happens to, like, lead to their tragic end. And I don't want to give anything away, but about partway through the book, once they've told their stories, they start talking to one another. And they start examining, you know, the lives that they've lived and what it means to have basically, you know, had fathers and men in their lives who saw them as disposable and what their deaths mean to the story. And you know, they don't like what they see. And so then they make a decision to push back against that. And I did not really know what to expect going into this book. Like even just reading the description of the book, I was kind of like, okay, I'm not really sure what this is going to be about. But oh my gosh, it's so powerful. It's fascinating. I I was enthralled, basically. Um, I've been recommending this book to anybody mm. I can chat to. Mm. You do not have to have read the, the plays that are referenced heavily in this book. So the plays are Romeo and Juliet, which I think everybody reads in high school, like their freshman year of English. Um, the other play is Hamlet and um, King Lear. Those are kind of like the three main stories that get brought up the most. And then Lavinia is from Titus Adronicus. But you don't have to read them. I think my understanding and my love of this book probably has been helped by the fact that I have read a lot of Shakespeare. And so I knew those stories and I knew those plays. Um, But again, you don't have to have read them in order to really, like, I think, feel this book and feel its power so that is enter the body by joy mccullough i mean like some of it's like written in iambic pentameter and like i could not write iambic pentameter to save my life so i'm just impressed this is amazing write it i can barely spell it no i'm just playing (laughs) 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 um that sounds really good i know that's a fairly recent release yeah it, it just came out. Perfect for our episode that we did like a couple of weeks ago. I know. And I almost picked it for a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. because um, we were talking about Shakespeare, but it wasn't quite out by the time we recorded and I couldn't get my hands on a copy yet. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just read it for our novels and verse episode. And I'm so glad we did because, oh my gosh, so good. Yeah. I really want to read that. I didn't realize it was in verse. Yes. Like I have it on my, I'm like, I don't know why that, like reading the book blurb, like the official summary or whatever, I skipped over that. And I think it's interesting. I really like the title, especially given what it's about. I think yes. that's a really good title. And it kind of, it kind of reminds me, like hearing you describe it, like the dead women in Shakespeare's plays, how, like, and what their deaths mean. It kind of makes me think of like how you know they're not like necess- they not they're not like they weren't respected as people when they were alive Mm -hmm. but their deaths they're like they're more useful in death it kind of reminds me of like um there was this like death mask i think that became popular in like france and italy and it was of a of a young woman and it was like 
there was just this weird thing surrounding like how it's like the death of her was more interesting than her life or something. I don't know. But it mm-hmm. randomly reminded me of that. Yeah. And they the book definitely dives into that. Like, you know, what like what use are we if not, you know, to be props? Like mm. and because like, you know, Ophelia is literally like they literally bring out her body as a prop, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of messed up. And and they even say, like, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> and so I love that. Yeah, that's it's a little it's a little janky, bro. Yeah. But yeah, that sounds really good. I am looking forward to it. So good. And oh, I think all, if not most, if not all of Joy's books too are written in verse as well. I have not read them all, but um, the ones I have read are written in verse. So if you're looking for more great stuff, Joy McCullough has some great stuff for you. Yes, that is definitely going being bumped up on the TBR. And again, I feel like I would, I might, I'm more likely to start these sooner rather than later because novels in verse are so much shorter. Right. Especially when you listen to an audiobook, it feels like the time just flies by. But yes, that sounds amazing. I It's on my list. Um, and the next one I have is Chlorine Sky by Mahogany L. Brown. And this is actually a really short one. If you're, you know, our list is literally like two hours on audiobook if you're interested in that, if that matters to you. And I like the topic. I like the topic. It's about this changing friendship between two teen girls and like so the witch that comes between them I think is something that I have seen firsthand with my friendships and also other people's friendships that I've been you know in close proximity to and I think so I because of that I've come to the conclusion that it happens a lot in female friendships and so it's like this sort of rivalry that begins Sky, the main character the narrator um she starts to establish through her narration this rivalry between her friend Laylee and her. It's kind of one-sided, though, because even though Laylee um, used to, you know, sing her friend's praises, because, you know, that's why they're friends, so there had to be some positive moments at one point. So even though they used to be friends, now it's kind of like she confirms the things that Sky is insecure about. They actually met because Laylee defended her against some boys who were jealous of her and harassing her. So Skye was really good at certain things. And some of the teenage boys, when she was swimming, they were like in the pool and she was a really good swimmer. And they were like hitting the water near her or whatever, like harassing her and stuff. And Laylee basically cursed them out because Sky is, Sky is, is kind of withdrawn, kind of quiet I think she's one of those people who she speaks of where she comes from. And it's obvious that like her family doesn't have a lot of money. She has to wear like hand-me-downs and stuff. And she talks about like how, you know, the kids will go to this, there will be this pool party and everyone's going in these like cute um, swimsuits and bikinis and stuff. And she has to wear this hand-me-down ugly one piece blue swimsuit that she hates. And it's like, doesn't fit her well. So she tries to cover it up with like, t-shirt and stuff like that so I say all that because I feel like Sky is a type of person who she doesn't want to be seen so she's quiet so she doesn't have a voice at first and so when Laylee defends her against these boys she uses her voice in you know to help Sky, who's not using hers who you know doesn't feel like she can they become friends but then the irony of it all is that it's a boy that starts to drive that wedge between them, the wedge that I mentioned earlier. Curtis, old trifling behind. Curtis is like this pretty boy or whatever, and he is interested in Laylee, and Laylee's interested in him. And he is like a jerk. He's a big old jerk. And he makes fun of Sky. And Laylee doesn't defend her from him. She just kind of laughs it off. So it's like, and and as their friendship, the current status of their friendship progresses, Sky like starts to stand up for herself. And she's like, you know, she realizes that this is not how friends treat each other. And I think that takes a lot too, especially when you're young, because again, Sky was kind of, you know, more quiet and stuff like that. And even before you speak out 
in defense of yourself, to stand up for yourself, you first have to realize that it's wrong and mentally be like, this is not okay how she's treating me. Um, This is not like how friends should treat each other. So basically, this covers their friendship. They're changing friendship and how she feels about herself and stuff like that. I like that it's very like, um, it feels like Sky is speaking to us. Like she's this black girl. She's talking about Beyonce and Megan the Stallion and different things like that. So it's like, it's very current. It's got some pop culture in it. And it's an interesting read. I like that it's it's focused on like this, you know, kind of a, a deep dive into this one part of, of Sky's existence, Sky's life and her developing into a person so you know we always like I like always like to read about friendships and stuff like that I think they're a really um interesting part of YA fiction and nonfiction and stuff like that so again this is Chlorine Sky by Mahogany L. Brown awesome I've seen that one around but I have not picked it up yet so I'm glad you talked about it all right we're getting to the point where we're starting to run out of time so I'm going to be kind of quick by my next pick My next pick is Clap When You Land by the incomparable Elizabeth Acevedo. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I I will read anything and everything that she publishes. Um, She's also the author of The Poet X and With Fire on High. She, speaking of audiobooks, so this is the one I read in audio, Erica. Okay. Um, And the reason why I will always read anything that Elizabeth Acevedo writes and I will always read it on audio is because she usually narrates the audio herself. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And she's like a slam poet. So she has presence. Like, yes. she, like if you asked me to narrate an audiobook, I'd be like, oh, gosh, it would not be a fun experience. <laughs> like, I'm not a professional. Yeah. But she does such a good job of narrating her own work. Um, and she actually also narrated Pride by Evie's Boy. Um, So I think that's kind of cool, too. So she actually has a second narrator on this one because it's dual point of view. It is about two girls. One lives in New York City. One lives in the Dominican Republic. And what they have in common is they share a father. But what neither of them realizes is that, like, they don't know about each other, basically. So they're the same age, which, you know, if your eyebrows are raising, yep, it's because... Dad has two families. And um, yeah, it's, it's, and what's devastating about this is that they discover each other's existence because their father was on a flight from New York to the Dominican Republic that crashes. It's lost and everybody who's on board dies. Mm. And so that is how, you know, they discover each other. And like, you know, think about how like traumatizing that would be to like lose your parent in a plane crash and yeah. then in the aftermath as you're grieving find out that he had a second family on you know the other side of the continent and that is how you discover each other so naturally it's not like this really smooth lovely reunion of like sisters it's very complicated and it's complicated by the fact that they both have um, these images of who their father is or was And they both have different memories and different perspectives on him. And they're, you know, very different people. They've grown up in different countries. And they have to reconcile the fact that, like, like it or not, they're sisters. And now that they know about each other, like, what are they going to do about it? And um, the character, especially that lives in the Dominican Republic, is, you know, way more of a disadvantage than her sister in New York. Um, You know, her sister in New York... Her mom was the one that was legally married to their father. Mm. They have more money because they live in New York City. And what does it mean to, you know, figure out how to be sisters when you have this power imbalance in your relationship? And I just, oh, it was such a brilliant book. I read it a few years ago when it first came out. And the audio was excellent. The story was really compelling. It was heartbreaking, but like in a good way. So Mm -hmm. I definitely um, recommend picking up Clack When You Land, but also anything else that she has written, of course. Um, With a Fire and High is not written in verse, but The Poet X, of course, is. And I believe that she has an adult novel coming out this year, like later this year, that I'm really excited to read as well. I just have to say that sounds amazing. Also, we'll read anything by her. But side note, can we talk about like how how you have all the energy to have a second family? Like, why don't you start a business, bro? Why don't you like 
<laughs> like, why don't you volunteer at a soup kitchen, bro? You want to have a second family? Like, I it baffles the mind. Mm-hmm. It baffles. I'm trying yeah. to find more time to read. You over here with two <laughs> like two separate families, bro. Like, come on, makes me so mad. <laughs> makes me so mad. Yeah, the like living like a double life like that, or like having two families, like that is an element in fiction that definitely intrigues me because I am the same way. Like how. How difficult would it be to, like, maintain those two separate parts of yourself? But some people do it. Yeah. It happens, though. That's it the happens. gag. It happens. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, can't even have one family. I got, I'm over here with my cat, and I, we're just trying to make it a right. Right. So, just... Um, the last one I have is The Ghosts of Rose Hill by R.M. Romero. And this is about a Jewish and Cuban girl whose grades are slip, slip, slipping. And her parents are like, oh, you got to get this together. So they send her to Prague, which is a solution for slipping <laughs> grades, I guess. You listen. Love it. They send her to Prague because her father's sister, her aunt, is in Prague. And her father at first is like, no, she can't go to Prague. That's my baby girl. Like, he has terrible memories of Prague from their totalitarian regime. And the mom ends up winning the, you know, that argument. So she gets to Prague and she meets her aunt, who she hasn't seen in years. I love the description of the aunt, who is described as a storm who only pretends to be a woman. Oof. Nice. Yes. I want that on my headstone. All right. So... She goes to Prague. She stumbles upon this old kind of abandoned Jewish cemetery. She meets Benjamin, who is a ghost who died more than like 100 years ago. Through Benjamin, she finds the she gets to know the magical side of Prague and she starts to fall for him. Then there's this guy named Wasserman who is interested in her. And he offers to help her with some magic, but then she discovers a secret surrounding him and Benjamin. And she realizes that she needs to save Benjamin, but she might have to let him go to save him. That's as quick as I can do it. Pick it up. I'm impressed. Magical. It's a mad bullet point. That's a magical story. Um, You get to learn different histories and stuff. I didn't know much about the Prague, you know, regime and stuff like that. So that's cool to learn about. Again, it's The Ghost of Rose Hill by R.M. Romero. Nice. Also, that is out from Peachtree Teen. And I have to say, like, Peachtree has been around for a while, but they are killing it lately with their YA books. Just awesome. They are killing it, bro. They, yes, their YA books are always, like, complex, kind of maybe with, like, a little darkness, but, like, really deep. Yes, yes. So um, that one sounds amazing. It was not on my radar, but now it is. So thank you. My next pick or my final pick really quickly, it's Dear Medusa by Olivia A. Cole. And it is about Alicia. She um, is just starting her junior year of high school. She's not super happy about it because during her sophomore year of high school, she um, had a abusive relationship with a teacher. Mm. And they don't really know, like nobody knows about it. Like, it's just something that happened to her that she's trying to forget. But she has a really bad reputation at her school. She's treated awfully. Like, it's just really traumatic. And so she's starting junior year and she's just trying to be invisible. Um, Lots of imagery about, like, you know, the Medusa where she feels like she's ostracized. Yeah. But she um, starts to get these letters in her locker that, like, suggest that, like, maybe she's not the only victim. And she also meets the new girl. And the new girl is, you know, not necessarily knowing about the past and all the rumors. And so that kind of offers her another chance, too. But she's going to have to face what happened to her. So this kind of feels like a spiritual successor to speak in a way. Mm. A very, like, lyrical, really interesting characters um it's queer it's oh it's so good and the cover is so brilliant um it's like this illustrated realistic style with like the snakes and her hair is fire and it's just oh gorgeous so oh that does look really good yes dear medusa by olivia egghole i really enjoyed it this was one like it was an impulse buy at barnes and noble the other day when i knew that we were going to be doing this topic and i picked it up because of the cover and then i saw it was novels and verse and i was like oh no it's a business expense now so (laughs) i like how you say oh no i gotta buy it now for sure right (laughs) wasn't medusa 
assaulted too? Isn't that like her story? I'm a little fuzzy, a little rusty on Greek mythology. I'm a little fuzzy too. Okay. <laughs> but prob- probably because it was Greek mythology. Yeah, because so. I was like, this, wasn't that her, like her thing? Okay, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. That sounds amazing so, though. Love it. So good. Yes. All right. And like, look at us. We're finishing we're almost smart. right on time. We're good. You know, we're not going to go over our hour. Not at all. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Please feel free to leave us feedback on the show on Apple Podcasts because it lets us know how we're doing. It also helps others to find us. You can also leave us feedback on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Um, so don't forget to visit bookriot.com for our newsletters, more podcasts, all things bookish, including the deep dive. And thanks again to today's sponsors for making the show possible. Finally, thank you to our amazing audio editor, Jen Zink. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at, at Tears of Price. How about you, Erica? I'm on Twitter at Erica underscore EZE underscore. Awesome. Well, we will be back again in two weeks. And until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.